I am happy to announce that the winner is All About Eve. Parasite. Kramer versus Kramer. Chicago! West Side Shark. The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King. One flew over the cuckoo. Shakespeare in Love. May I have the envelope, please? It is March 23rd, 2003 at the Kodak Theater in Hollywood, California. We are here for the 75th annual Academy Awards with host with host for the second time, Mr. Steve Martin himself. And it is time for the big award of the night, the envelope, please. And the winner is... <laughs> Chicago! Welcome back to another episode of The Envelope, please, everyone. This is a podcast where we are watching and discussing every Best Picture Oscar winner in chronological order. And we are your hosts. My name is Sam. Rants. <laughs> 75 years! What a milestone! That means we've done at least 75 episodes. <laughs> And more, because there have been special episodes. I have a feeling there'll be a special episode next week, so get ready for that, guys. I was going to say, are we going to rank 75 of them? Are we doing that? <laughs> I think we have to. People expect it of us now. You know? I mean, we did it at 50, so we should probably do it for 75. I think we, we should. should, too. We'll at least speed through them, and I don't know. Well, I'm curious to know if your rankings have changed, because it's been six months or so, you know? I'm right there with you. I'm right there with you. Um, um, I do want to say, we do have a record-breaking um, announcement here on this the 75th anniversary, or 75, the 75th year. Uh Meryl Streep has now become the most nominated actor in Oscar history. This is her 13th nomination. Wow. And I think we should all bow down. (laughs) Wow. And I know that you'll have nothing to say about that nomination, nor will you talk about it in spotlights, or maybe even snubs, since she had more than one movie this year. I know... Um, there's plenty of Meryl to come on this episode, but I will just say before any of that onslaught begins that I do love me some Meryl Streep. I'm really happy that she has this record. Um, I'm sorry, Kate. Sorry. Sorry Sorry. about it. Um, yeah, she had a big year. This is a big year for Meryl. This is the beginning of Meryl's comeback. I think that, you know, because there was this period in the 90s in which she became like, oh, it's Meryl, and here she's Meryl with her next accent and her next... Di-. And then this uh, this combination of performances really helps get her, I think, back into the good graces of the audiences at large, and they don't... She's not being talked about as being overrated, because I think there was this period where people are just like, oh, she's overrated, you know? And it was yeah. like a pop... It wasn't true, but it was like a popular thing for people to say because people love being pessimistic. And then this happened, and then something else happens in a few years, which sends her into a stratosphere that very few people have ever been to. And um, I am, of course, talking about Mamma Mia. Mamma Mia, here I go again. 
Now, <laughs> honestly, no. No, but you're not wrong. You're not wrong. <laughs> I, I am. I am. Uh, I'm. I made that a joke. I it was. Um, but no, seriously, there's another movie that happens before Mamma Mia does actually cement her as uh, a box office star. I think. Yes. But, but um, there's something that happens before that, and I'm not even going to say the title, even though everyone knows what I'm talking about. That's all. Um that makes her into a pop culture icon for the ages um that it does and i can't wait to talk about that performance and so much else that happens in the history of meryl streep over the next um 15 years after this nomination so me too and we will be discussing all of them and let's keep in mind let's keep in mind sorry um that between this nomination in 2003 and her most recent nomination in 2018 18 or 19 yeah um she gets um she in that span of time she's nominated uh on average like every 1.5 years you know, yes. <laughs> so there's a lot, a lot of Meryl coming our way. This is the beginning of her greenest period, I think. So, yes, green meaning like she's blooming, like it's spring, and you know, in case that wasn't clear. Um, right. Florals for spring, groundbreaking. Speaking of Meryl Streep, this is the 75th year, which means that they did the another and the most recent time they've done this. They have not done this again. Um, the, uh, the Oscar yearbook photo, as you might call it, yes. where they brought, uh, as many, uh, living actors and actresses who have won Oscars as possible. This isn't every single one who was still alive. This is every single one who showed up at the ceremony. Um, but, uh, the most important part of this is, is not the fact that you got Shirley Temple and Mickey Rooney and, uh, 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 I'm trying to think who else is up there. Like Sophia Loren, Julie Andrews. Like I mean, you know, just incredible talent up on the stage. Um, and they wait to do the um the photo until after that year's acting winners have won. And so you get the you get Zeta Jones and you get Nicole Kidman. Um, but the most important thing is that Olivia De Havilland gives her last appearance at the Oscars and she literally sweeps onto the stage as they play the music from Gone with the Wind. And if you haven't watched this clip, it's just like so regal and epic, just the way her dress like glides and she almost falls. You know what I'm talking about? She like almost falls and she steadies herself on the side of the stage but it's so it looks intentional in the way that she does it because she's just so put together and then she gets up and she says like so many years ago when i and she just sounds like she's a queen and and literally everybody's like in the audience like some people are crying it's like a whole (laughs) it's one of the best oscar moments of all time and um and she talks about winning for the heiress, I think, um, which which is the better of the two films. So that's all we really care about. <laughs> and 
you wouldn't know it from listening to this podcast, but Sam and I are quite the fans of the movie <laughs> The Heiress. <laughs> that one's lingering. <laughs> okay, okay, let's talk about some snubs. This is a big year for movies. A lot of great movies came out. And I, I mean, personally, I like a lot of the nominations here. It was kind of hard pulling out snubs, but I do have a few. Um, go my ahead. favorite would be for the movie Eight Legged Freaks. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> wow, you! I usually but pull those jokes. Note, I was I... <laughs> young Scarlett Johansson, Eight Legged Freaks. This is actually a really funny movie, but no, this is not a legitimate stuff. I do just love. I actually Freaks. haven't seen it, but I remember the previews for it vividly. It's ridiculous. I think it scared it's me. Ridiculous. It is scary. Um, no, okay. On a serious note, so uh, I've got a couple in the supporting actor race. Um, I would have loved to have seen Andy Serkis get nominated for um, Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers. And I would have loved to have seen Richard Gere sneak in here for Chicago. This probably being his best shot at an Oscar. Either that or the other film he did, Unfaithful, with Diane Lane. Both really great, uh, very strong supporting performances. And I'm surprised at having as big a year as he did like that and... You know, seeing Diane Lane sneak into the Best Actress race, that there wasn't more conversation about around Richard Gere getting an Oscar nom. He was Golden Globe nominated, but the Oscars did not give it to him. Um, um, I would have loved. Go ahead. Yeah, I I just want to say um, I'll let you continue your snubs in a second. I don't think I have much to add. The only snub that I wrote down was Richard Gere in Chicago. Um, oh. And I hadn't thought about him being nominated until you mentioned it for Unfaithful. Um, yeah, it's a um, great performance. It is. It is. Um, and I think about it as being a Diane Lane pusher. But um, but you're right. He is he is fantastic in that. But I, I really think Chicago is not only his best chance because he did get other nominations for this movie. Yes. And I think a lot of people expected him to get a supporting actor nomination for this. But... Um, Beyond that, I I think he is so delightfully smarmy in the movie. He does a great job with the songs that he has. I, I think he's a really solid actor. And I think it really shows what a great personality he is. And he also sends up his persona in a really fun way. I agree. Yeah, no, I think he does great work in Chicago. And, you know, it got a billion acting nominations. I'm surprised that he didn't kind of ride the train of success. Uh, in there with the other four that got nominated. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, okay. go on with I yours. also would have loved to have seen in the original score category, James Newton Howard's score for Signs. Legitimately great score. One of my favorites of all time. Terrifying, creepy, and instantly recognizable. I also love Signs. I wouldn't have hated Mel Gibson getting a nomination for Signs. I'm obsessed with that movie. Don't you make that face at me. He's good. He is good in Signs. Mel has plenty of nominations and Oscars for one lifetime. <laughs> we don't need to give him any more. All right, well, how about this? Can we give another Oscar nomination to Robin Williams this year for one hour photo? Probably his creepiest performance. I'm always on board with the Robin Williams nomination. Yeah, um, genuinely terrifying movie. This movie really freaked me out. 
Um, and he, it's just another side of Robin Williams that we don't get to see. We kind of see a side of it in Insomnia, which I think came out uh, this year, the year before, somewhere around this time he was doing Insomnia as well. Also kind of a weird, creepy performance in that too. I realized that I have neglected something and it just came okay. to mind. You mentioned Mel Gibson. That made me think of his like longtime friendship with Jodie Foster, which plenty of other people have commented on, so I will not. Um, right. And that made me remember that one of my favorite Jodie Foster movies came out this year, and that's Panic Room. Panic Room, and yes. I really, I think it's a great little thriller, and... You know, I don't I don't know if I want to raise to the point that I say Jodie Foster gets a nomination for it, but I do think she's really good in it, and I think she's really good in everything. I also will say that had Nicole Kidman not been nominated for The Hours, we could I, I, a good argument for voice role nominations for Nicole Kidman playing the voice of Jodie Foster's ex-husband's girlfriend on the phone. Excuse me? Is that really the voice in that? Yes, it's a cameo. I know. Isn't that so great? That's random. That's so random. But she was originally cast in the movie, and then she had to drop out, and then Jodie Foster replaced her. Oh, interesting. um, Oh, that's mm -hmm. fun. Isn't that fun? Why not? (laughs) Why not? (laughs) Throw her in there. Anyway, but Panic Room, great little, great little movie, um, great thriller. Speaking of thrillers, I would have liked to have seen Emily Watson sneak in the supporting actress race for Red Dragon, the follow-up to Silence of the Lambs. Speaking of Jodie Foster, speaking of Jodie Foster, <laughs> that was a good. She transition. said, "I will not come back." <laughs> Jodie Foster, um, Julianne Moore's like, yes, that's a different movie. Yeah, no but kidding. Yes. Right? <laughs> speaking of Julianne Moore, <laughs> no, no. no. Um, oh, are you going to spotlights uh, already? <laughs> we're getting there. I have two more snubs. I have two more snubs. So in the Best Picture race, I would have loved to have seen Adaptation, Sneak In, and Spirited Away, Sneak In as oh, well. One of the, yes. legitimately one of the greatest animated films of all time. But it did um, win. Then, it did win. It did win animated feature. But I mean, yes. animated movies kind of Just sneak say. into the Best Picture race all the time now when there's 10 slots. And I think this would have yeah. been, only this could have vied for top five. Um, and then my last one for picture, I'd have liked to have seen Itumama Tambien sneak in as well. One of my favorites as well. Did you have any snubs you wanted to add? You sure you don't want to bring up Candace Bergen in Sweet Home Alabama? That's not, I didn't make your list this time. <laughs> I'm not gonna, not every Candace Bergen performance. <laughs> Book club isn't until 2018, so. <laughs> and did they, they already filmed Book Club 2, and that's coming out soon. So get oh, excited. Lord. Well, okay. <laughs> hey, listen. Four older women box office queens i'm all about it this is hitting all of my it's hitting literally every check mark i have for a movie requirement (laughs) um no i i um i think that this is actually a really round lovely year of nominations and there isn't anything that i find particularly egregious in this all right let's get into some spotlights then so i'll just i'll just go first i'm pretty sure everyone Obviously, you're aware that I'm going to talk about The Hours this year. Uh, what? This is one of my favorite movies. No. What? <laughs> I'm actually going to go back and keep talking about Eight-Legged Freaks. Um. 
<laughs> so I mentioned in our God. 2000 episode how much I love Stephen Daldry. Uh, we were discussing Billy Elliot. Well, The Hours is a move, movie that solidified my passion and my love for this director. Uh, this movie is such a mood. Rance, I actually don't think that anything happ- uh, happy happens in The Hours whatsoever. And it's like every character is living out their worst day. Uh, but I don't want that to steer people away, okay? Trust me. This movie is worth the 48 hours of depression you will suffer from after you watch it. <laughs> so for those who don't know what The Hours is about, let me tell you. Everyone should know is... that Sam actually has a prerequisite that movies have to cause him 48 hours of depression afterwards for <laughs> him to like them <laughs> at least that's like the minimum <laughs> yes if he doesn't have to go to therapy after seeing a movie then it wasn't a movie for sam he was like this was no, a it nice becomes diversion. my therapy <laughs> is it? literally this movie is like therapy you just sit in that that oh god just that horrible sadness and then when you're done watching it's like okay i'm done i felt it i'm good let's let's do something happy now <laughs> it works i promise okay the hours it is about uh, three different women whose lives are all affected by the same book, Mrs. Dalloway. Uh, one is the author, Virginia Woolf, played by Nicole Kidman, and she is struggling to write the book during the early 1920s. The second woman's name is Laura Brown. She's played by Julianne Moore, and she is reading the book, Mrs. Dalloway, during the 1950s as kind of a way of escaping her own life. And the final character is Clarissa Vaughn. She is played by Meryl Streep, and she is a woman who is sort of living the same life as Mrs. Dalloway during the early 2000s. So those three time periods clash, and eventually the lives of Brown and Vaughn, they meet up as we discover that they have a common connection so it's a really fun weaving of characters throughout the entire film um so i'm sure i'm sure everyone thinks i'm going to talk about meryl streep however my favorite performance in the hours is julianne moore the she twist is my we didn't know was coming <laughs> we she we is thought stand out how are you going to be able to talk about meryl St- okay you know what it'll be a surprise keep talking it will be. So Julianne Moore's chunk is actually my favorite. And I think it's because, I don't know, I'm kind of obsessed just with the 1950s society and that style of life, which just doesn't exist anymore. Uh, and she plays this kind of suffering, bored housewife who's hiding the fact that she is a lesbian. So she spends her days, <laughs> she spends her days making a birthday cake for her husband uh, with her son. And her son can sense, like, her mom's depression. He, he knows something is up with her. Something is wrong. Uh, so during this day when they're making this cake, he she gets knows, a visit. He knows that she's far from heaven. Oh, I see what you did there. Good for you. Good for you. I hate you. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> she's in a lost world. <laughs> Yuck. <laughs> that was awful. They keep getting worse. <laughs> But she knows the kids are all right. There we go. All right, I'm going to stop you there. So during a visit from another housewife friend of hers, who's played by Toni Collette in a really fun little cameo, uh, these two women kiss. Now, for Julianne Moore, this kind of changes everything. It solidifies what she knows about herself to be true. She likes women. But for Toni Collette's character, she just kind of brushes it off and leaves, basically, and refuses to really kind of talk about it. 
So because of this, I think Julia Moore realizes she can never be happy, so she decides to leave her family. She checks into a hotel, uh, and she's going to commit suicide. But she delays this because she's reading the book Mrs. Dalloway, and eventually she falls asleep, and when she wakes up, she realizes she doesn't want to die anymore. So she decides not to leave her family, and she ends up sticking it out. But it is that scene in the hotel room. This is the scene that lives in my mind rent-free forever. It's breathtaking. She falls asleep on the bed, and as she's sleeping, the room starts to fill up with water, and it rushes to the top of the bed, and her body is kind of suspended in this water for a long time. Um, it's just so beautiful. It's beautifully shot, and I think it perfectly portrays what her emotional, or what she's going through emotionally um, during this part of the movie. So, yeah, I mean, I I think this, this, I think Julianne Moore, her character kind of calls for the most. It's kind of like she is always on the verge of tears in this film, right? There's never a shot where she's not either misty-eyed or she's just straight up weeping, including the scene near the end when she comes back and she's going to stick things out and she's having a conversation with her husband, played by John C. Riley, while he's in the bedroom, sitting in the bed, and she's in their bathroom talking to him but she's trying to hide the fact that she's just crying because he keeps trying to get her to come back in to basically have birthday sex and she's trying to you know get up the strength um to go out there and perform if you will and when she finally does come outside she's just vacant there's no expression on her face and she knows that she's um sort of um she basically has disassociated from herself just to be around her husband how horrible um, yeah, it's heartbreaking, but I think this is a difficult part to pull off because I think, you know, she could come across as kind of annoying, right? Where it's like, girl, just get it together. Um, but we care about her and we're not annoyed by her. So I think she's very successful and she is my pick for supporting actress. As much as I love Catherine Zeta-Jones as Velma Kelly, I wanted this to be Julianne Moore's Oscar. But here's where we're going to talk about Meryl. I think there's a lot of category fraud going on in this movie. So Julianne Moore is obviously our true supporting actress, but Nicole Kidman actually has the least amount of screen time, and she's winning lead actress. And it's Meryl who has the most screen time. So what's going on? Why couldn't we get dual nomination? Meryl Streep, leading actress the hours. Meryl Streep, supporting actress, adaptation. Why couldn't we have that? Is there a world where that happens? You know, Meryl is so rich in nominations <laughs> that... I don't know if we wanted to push it. That might have pushed back at her narrative of her comeback. It might have caused people to say Meryl's overrated if she had gotten both nominations. And I think her getting a supporting shows her going into a different phase of her career. And I think this is a little bit better for her on, on the whole long term. And I also feel like, too, her performance in adaptation is a bit, I guess, just more fun, you know? I mean, she's playing this really eccentric writer who who ends up doing drugs with Chris Cooper and she goes on the hunt for orchids and almost gets eaten by crocodiles. Like, this is a very odd performance by Meryl. And I think her getting nominated for that is, like, what you're saying is kind of introducing her to more, like, a wider audience and showing people that she can kind of have fun and she's she can loosen up, you know? Whereas... A lot of other nominations are for such serious dramatic work, which is what The Hours is. It's heartbreaking. So if she had gotten that nomination, I think the same kind of pushback would have happened, like you're saying. I think you're right. I think they would have been like, oh, great, another performance where Meryl's crying. We get it. We get it. But in adaptation, she's not doing that. It's a, it's just a weird 
performance in a weird movie, but very, very well done, I think. Um, I, I think, I think you're, you're straight on the money. And Always am. I'm, I'm sorry that Meryl only has 21 nominations. I, I wish <laughs> for your sake that she had 25, 26, maybe one for every movie she's ever been in. I don't know. <laughs> We're close to that. <laughs> How many movies has she made? She's made like 50? And she yeah, has 21 so. nominations, so she's almost batting a 50% average. That's ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, uh, let's let's check this. How many theatrical films has Meryl Streep had? This is real-time Googling, guys. Oh, boy. I didn't count narration or cameos, but 63 feature films... Meryl Streep has 21 nominations, so she's batting about a 33%, more than 33% average for nominations. That's pretty good. So every third film she makes, she gets a nomination for. (laughs) Guy, I love that bitch. (laughs) That's all. Man. Um, Okay. Uh, uh, Talk to me. What do you want to spotlight? Well, I want to mention, um, without getting too terribly into it the sad thing about what i'm about to mention is that it, it's incredibly dated now in terms of um the material in which it covers but this is the year that bowling for columbine won best documentary feature and Ugh. um bowling for economy uh, for columbine looks at gun violence in the united states specifically highlighting a Columbine school shooting that happened in 1999. Um, And when this documentary was made, there was still an assault weapons ban in place um, that has, that expired in 2004. It was not renewed by then president Bush. Um, And if you look at the statistics, the gun violence and school shootings have risen exponentially since 2004. But already in 2002, we looked at gun violence as a problem. This movie, very interestingly, does feature an interview with the NRA's biggest spokesperson, um, Charlton Heston. Oh, it's uh, juicy. Which is very juicy. And he says some things that, I mean, would 100% get him canceled in... 2022 um but all that said it is it is shocking watching it you know he 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 explores the gun culture he explores how easy it is to get a gun at this point in time it's easier now than it was then um and he talks about what it is in american culture that makes us so gun hungry um, so I would highly recommend that people watch that um, in light of the events of the last couple of weeks, particularly the school shooting that happened in Texas uh, just a few days ago, um, about a, a week from when this episode uh, drops, actually. Um, I, I would recommend that everybody go back, um, watch this, and, um, you know, advocate for change. I just want to say that. Um, in addition yes. to that, I, uh, I want to highlight, I want to spotlight the incredible original song winner that is Lose Yourself, uh, by Eminem from 8 Mile. 
Okay. Okay. Which is one of my, believe it or not, favorite songs. Um, no way. Well, I, I know. Didn't know this so about you. it's okay. a twist. It's a twist. I really are, like this particular song. We're an Eminem um, but uh, what I think is so interesting is it's not performed because of some of the content in the song. It was not performed at this Oscars, but it was later performed, uh, what, 2019? Maybe the 2020 ceremony right before lock- lockdown, one of the two. It um, was. It was right before COVID, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so that happened. I just I want everyone to know that one best original song. And it's wonderful. <laughs> Finally, I want to spotlight um, what I think is one of the great swan songs in film history. And that is the performance of Paul Newman as John Rooney um, in Road to Perdition. Um, very few people, I mean, like, you can't compare Paul Newman's career to anyone else. I mean, he. He not only was this, you know, method acting heartthrob in the 1950s, uh, coming along in, you know, such movies as Cabin Hot Tin Roof, um, but he uh, he became a director, he became an entrepreneur, he was um, an incredible humanitarian. Um, he does have one voice role that's released theatrically after this film, but the last time you physically see him on screen is in uh is in this movie and um i uh i'm trying to think here you can't um you can't like say too much about how his his physical his last physical appearance on film uh, without revealing way too much about the movie probably but um he has a very a very emotional last scene with Tom Hanks <laughs> that happens in the rain and involves a gun. And um, it was shot on Hennessy Street at Warner Brothers Studios, in case anyone's wondering. And um, and his last words are, I'm glad it's you. Um, mm. And it's a great swan yeah. song, I think, uh, for one of the great careers in film history and he was nominated for supporting actor for this wonderful performance um in a year that is full of wonderful performances uh and you could have nominated meryl streep for any number of movies um you know i i'm sorry that it didn't turn out the way you wanted um (laughs) But I will say, I have a little bit of an insider story from this year. Um, A friend of mine worked this year of the Oscars. Um, He was young. He was new to the city. And he... I'm recollecting from what he told me, so I may get a detail wrong. Um, And I won't say his name, just in case this... I I can't imagine this would get him in trouble. But anyway... um, Right after Supporting Actress happened, he saw Kathy Bates grab Meryl Streep, because they both lost, and said, come on, Meryl, let's get a drink. (laughs) Well, that makes perfect sense. They're like, yeah, we lost, but we also both already have Oscars. So they left the auditorium and (laughs) and got a drink. That's fabulous. 
Um, so yes, Paul Newman and the song and Bowling for Connell Mine, those are my spotlights. Love that. Good spotlights, good spotlights. All right, let's get into our main event. We are going to talk about the Best Picture winner, Chicago. Six, seven, eight. This movie is about Roxy Hart, who wants to just be a famous singer. But after the man she's having an affair with breaks a promise to get her a starring act, she shoots him in cold blood and is sent to an all-women's prison. There she enlists the help of famed defense attorney Billy Flynn to get her acquitted of the charge. But the coolest part is that all of this plays out through musical numbers envisioned in her mind. So, a breakdown of the numbers of this film. 13 Oscar nominations, including four acting noms. Should have been five. And it got six wins. On a $45 million budget, it grossed over $300 million. It holds a Rotten Tomatoes score of 86%. Fresh. And a letterbox score of 3.8 out of 5, which only divides into 76%, which I think is awfully low. <laughs> I think that's awfully low. What is your letter grade for this movie, Rents? Uh, 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 solid A- minus at least. I mean... Oh, it is a golden A. <laughs> this film is I, an A. I, I would say that if I was doing a five-star rating, um, which I don't think I've logged it on letterboxed yet but if i did i would probably say four and a half out of five mm, you're knocking off half a star we'll get into that in a little bit <laughs> i it's not knocking off half a star it's more like my it's, well, not, it's not in tacking on half a star it's not in my five star range my five star range is just reserved for the very special of the very special you know and and Chicago is a really, really good movie. I don't know if I'm ready to give it five stars. One day I may revisit it again. But as of right now, in this moment, having seen it several times, I think it is a solid four and a half. I'm not willing to put it on par with my favorite musicals. That's all. Hey, that's fair. That's fair. Okay. That's fair. Um, okay, so let's talk about what works. For me, I think the standout of what works here is the framing of the musical numbers as being non-diegetic numbers in the film. They're only heard and seen through I knew you would say that. I knew you would say that. I knew you would say that. It's so genius. I think it works so well for this It works really well in this movie. It works really well in this movie. I just don't want to disparage films who don't do that. Because, I am, because, I and the reason I'm going to mention this, <laughs> no. sorry, this is, I just have to get on a little bit of a tangent that has, it's nothing to do with this movie. Um, I think this movie really brilliantly uses that effect. I think after this film came out, there are a lot of musicals who tried to do the same thing, and they do it in a way that's like they're afraid to actually be a musical as opposed to using it in an artistic sense. This movie gets away with it because they use it artistically. And... Mm-hmm. It works artistically. Other films use it to get around actually being a musical. And let's just spot the difference. That's all. I also wonder, too, if, if like, I also wonder, too, like, if Candor and Ebb musicals, if it just works better with their their shows. I mean, it works very well with um, Cabaret as well. 
same kind of setup. It's a different way of framing the music, but it's still, you know, not happening within the actual story that's going on. You know, I wonder if there's just something to do with their material. It just it just really works well with how their shows are presented. I that's an interesting posturing. I will say that um similar but well it's Fosse and Fosse didn't do Chicago, but he did he did start to do Chicago. Uh he wanted to make it into a film and then that didn't happen cuz he passed away. But um I say the movie All That Jazz, uh, which similarly is built around dream sequences, um, could also be seen as an argument for that working with a Fosse style, because this is a Fosse style in a lot of ways. It has his dancing style. It has... Oh, yeah. I mean, he did the stage show, which, you know, is different. I think the stage show is a very different experience. But I yes. think you're right. It's, it's and he wanted essence. to do he wanted to do the movie. That was yeah. The, he was decades before this one came out. Bob Fosse was set up to do it. Um, you know. Uh, yeah. Anyway, sorry. Keep going. No, I just I think that yeah. I think the way that it's set up, and even with that in, that incredible first shot in Chicago, it just says it all. We hear the the jazz music come up and it slowly comes into her eyeball and we all we know that everything that we're hearing musically is inside her brain. She is creating all of this, which I think just makes Roxy Hart is insane. <laughs> She's a little crazy. <laughs> but let's talk about that. I think Renee Zellweger also really, really works in this movie. Oh, I think for sure. Roxy oh Hart God. is a yes. difficult part. Because yes. I think she could be so annoying so easily. In fact, the uh, I, I also think it's part of it, too, where with the stage show, I'm going to compare the two a lot because I've seen both and I really dislike the stage show. It's become kind of like a, I don't know what you would say, just kind of like a let's throw whoever we want show. into the show. Yeah, I haven't seen the Who oh, did you see it with? Good. Who did? It was Kelly Rowland. Oh, interesting. It was interesting. And I'm not saying she sang badly, and I'm not saying she danced badly. It was fine, but it was not well done. And, I, you know, I don't know. We, I think you genuinely need a good actress in this. And I'm sorry, a good actress, she's not. <laughs> we should mention that this this movie has a near 100-year history Uh to this point because uh the case itself is based on a real life case they change the names and stuff but both of the characters of uh roxy and velma are have real life composites um and then that was adapted into a play in 1926 called chicago which was then made into a silent film then in the 40s, I believe, let me check the year, 1942, there is a um, comedy uh, starring Ginger Rogers um, called Roxy Hart, which is an at, at a looser adaptation because obviously there were production code restrictions that would have kept it from being true to life at that point in time then it becomes the stage musical which later becomes the movie and now the stage musical has become the longest running broadway musical ever revival Um, 
the revival is the both the longest running revival and the longest running show now mm-hmm. correct yes because phantom i believe it may not be the longest running show but i think it's one of them but it is the longest I... running revival for sure yeah regardless renee zellweger really works in this film so oh, much sure. so that i mean this is one of the first like this and actually fan of the opera were the two like musicals that made me fall in love with musicals where i started to really get into musical theater yes yes this is this is it but also this is also like maybe also in love like with... what do you what is you falling in love with musical theater look like sam because all we've ever um, heard buying on the this... sheet music and learning how to play every song on the piano and listening to the cd over this and is, over and over this is a previously unrevealed side of sam i like how he just popped up made me love musical theater and anyone who's listened to this podcast up to this point would be like sam hates musicals <laughs> and the only musical he liked was for some reason oliver and now he wants to <laughs> um cabaret big fan okay seven yeah but like cabaret is barely I like that bi- cabaret i like sound of musical. music okay i'm just saying it's not your <laughs> reputation as a film commentator well no but also like it, it really was chicago kind of helped because this was one of i mean besides like sound of the music which i think everyone kind of grows up watching but chicago was one that i watched where i was like oh musicals can be so much more than just breaking out into song which i never really vibed with to me it always looked phony and a little silly but this gave a different side of what a musical can do yes you're yes yes it did yes i'm very i'm very proud but yeah i fell in love with renee zellweger i had a huge crush on her and then i realized i just wanted to be her i just wanted to be roxy hart roxy hart Little Sam was like, I want to be Renee. I want to be with Renee Zellweger. I have such a crush on that chick. I love her. She's so hot. She's just so, she's so red hot. I, I want to date her. Yeah, I can see it. I was like, no, I, I actually just see... want to put on her heels and wear a little blonde wig. That's actually what I want to do. And you know what? Sam would grow up to realize his dreams. I'm going to replace the next Roxy on Broadway. That's going to be me. He's going to replace the next, the next co-host on his next episode with the way that I'm going. <laughs> uh, okay, what is your favorite musical number? What's your favorite one? I mean, like, I guess it's such a stereotypical thing to say, but, I mean, does it get better than Cell Block Tango? They had it coming! not get that better. is a great one that is not get better than cell block tango i love it i've watched it by itself separate from the movie a bagazillion times um and the musical parody film that i made called a movie musical which sends up musicals we did our own version of cell block tango um change the that. lyrics it's probably not probably wasn't legal <laughs> did you make um, money off of it no we didn't make any money off of it then it's um, legal yay um but uh anyway uh i love um i love women uh like owning Do their you? power <laughs> i know i like watching female characters own their power 
Um, and you know, this is such a powerful song in that sense. And I think there's a lot of commentary going on about the way women are treated in society, um, and why they go to these extreme measures. It like, it isn't just necessarily about these, you know, you know, these murderous women. It's also about the repression they're feeling in society, which is why this musical works on multiple levels. All right, well, here we go. I see yourself, Black Tango, and I raise you, Mr. Cellophane. That is my favorite number. Oh, that's a great one. That's really, really great. I think it's fabulous, and I don't think... And obviously, this is where John C. Riley gets his Oscar nomination, and it's so deserved. He He does such a good job as Amos Hart in this movie, and I think this this part of it and just the way it's filmed too i love toward the end of it when we start to see his shadows and his hands kind of come up the curtains and they start elongating throughout the entire frame i don't know i think it's so beautifully shot and he does such a good job singing it that's a hard song to sing uh, he just blows me away. I think that's, ah, uh, that's like my favorite. That's like my eleven o'clock number. <laughs> I um, I fully support that, Sam. I really do. But also, I think it's like you're gonna say something snarky, aren't you? What is it? <laughs> no, I wasn't. You had I that look on your face. That... <laughs> I I don't always. I like Mr. Cellophane. I was just supporting you. <laughs> You, this, like, as of this episode, fan of musicals. Um, (laughs) We're finally talking about some good ones. Oh, whoa. Those are some fighting words, sir. I mean, you did, like, Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. I mean, like, you're a little spastic. That's all I'm saying. And I I think you just randomly choose musicals and think, I'm going to like this one. And then something like that I think is really dark and interesting, although it's not one of my favorite movies, comes along, like all that jazz, and you're like, I hate it. And I'm like, oh, that seems so Sammy. Because it's so so depressing. I mean, like, you think, you know. You're not wrong. It's kind of all over the place. Here this fun-loving, you know, movie about murder comes along. And he's like, yes, this one, because I don't have to watch them sing out loud in the ether. I'm going to love this movie. I'm Sam. (laughs) That is how I sound. (laughs) I've been listening to you for years, and I I think I have it nailed. All right, I'm I'm actually, I'm I'm done. Um, I'm done complaining. Okay, so then let's talk about what doesn't work in this film. Since you're knocking half a star off of it, why, why... Why, why, why? Why, I, why is this Again, I didn't say nothing doesn't work. <laughs> no, I just I'm said I wasn't going to give it five. Um, it, it's, no, I think it's not? really, really good. I think it's a mm-hmm. great movie. I think mm-hmm. my gold standard for musicals is like Sound of Music and in West Side Story. Um, <laughs> and I, I'm just saying that in my pantheon of rankings for musicals chicago ranks a little bit under those so i'm gonna knock off a half a star just because in the grand scheme of rants rating musicals it's not one of my top two 
Oh, so you're only giving your top two in every genre of perfect stars. Everything below that doesn't get it. Singing in the Rain also has five stars. <laughs> I'd get like three, three and a half. <laughs> we talked about this. Because of a dream sequence at the you uh, just admitted um, no, 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 to no 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 we need to get specific here not just a dream sequence a thirty minute dream ballet okay <laughs> now listen listen here based on Sam reasoning for musicals <laughs> that should be your favorite part of the film because that's the absolutely only absolutely not that's the only non diegetic part in the entire oh which could be cut out and the movie would be. Pretty close to perfect. I, uh... Yeah, I went there. No, no, I, I'm not gonna... No, nothing nothing in Chicago. No offense, Chicago. Nothing in Chicago moves me emotionally the way Gene Kelly reaching out and saying, That girl! Stop that girl! Kathy Selden! And then Debbie Reynolds looks back and she has tears in her eyes. That, to me, is the benchmark of cinema don't give me don't give me that look (laughs) don't listen over there miss babe lovin um (laughs) babe is a good movie (laughs) also not a musical (laughs) listen okay i want to talk Okay. I want to ask you what like I because I think like all five of the principal performances yes you know Renee Zellweger, Catherine Peter Jones, Queen Latifah, Richard Gere, John C. Riley I think they're all phenomenal. But if we had to maybe rank the performances, what what's like how would you rank them in terms of like gives the best gives gives the least? <laughs> uh, Renee Zellweger one, she's your number one. Okay. Uh, Catherine Zeta. Okay. Mm, gets tough, doesn't it? It's a little tough. Queen Latifah? Mm, okay. Okay. Um, Richard Gere's John C. Riley. <laughs> John C. Riley's your last one. Oh, interesting. John C. But I, re- I really one. like him. He's great. I just I just really like Richard Gere in the movie. It's not... It's. I'm, I hear you. I hear you. Mine's kind of a little opposite. I did John C. Riley first, Renee Zellweger, Catherine Zeta-Jones, Queen Latifah, then Richard Gere. And that's why I think Richard Gere fell off the slab. <laughs> I mean, Joe C. Riley is really great in the movie. I don't, I don't fault you for ranking him first. I mean, I don't, you know, want anyone to hate me. So we have to balance each other somehow. This is true. You know, this is true. <laughs> but Renee, if you're listening, we're stands, and um, we're very much looking forward to you getting your Oscar next. Our next episode. That will be fun to talk about. So we agree. Chicago was a good choice for Best Picture. Yes? yes. Okay. So if you could, of these five nominated, Chicago's your Best Picture winner? Yes, it is. The Hours would be second. You did a great job arguing for it earlier, and I don't have much to add to that. But The Hours is a great film, in spite of me making fun of you for being a person who loves depressing movies. Um, um, of all the depressing movies, it is a great film. Also, I always mention great scores. That one by Philip Glass is great. It's phenomenal.
Um, okay, if you could pick five nominees. Do you know what, what I would? Your... I, I would take out the PNS mm-hmm. just for political purposes, probably. Fair. Um, I'm not going to take away Adrian Brody's Oscar. I think he's great. The moment yes. right after he wins is very cringe. And <laughs> in bit, retrospect, and we didn't discuss that, but I, I, that moment really didn't date well. But Adrian Brody is really great in the pianist, so um, I'm not upset with that win. Uh, uh, I would, I would take that out and and maybe put in director. Um, I mean, maybe Peter Jackson. Um. You know, yeah, yeah, so. yeah, probably, probably. Um, I, I mean, like, I also wouldn't have minded have seen some love beyond acting nominations for Far From Heaven, which is a great um, homage to Douglas Sirk movies. Mm-hmm. That's really, really good. Um, and I think people undervalue how difficult it is to pull off those films because i i think that women's films as they call them sometimes get a slight which has been the case dating back to movies like now voyager in the 40s um and movies like the douglas sirk films which were not taken as seriously in the 50s um you know there's a there's a few holes that probably could have been filled in where we were where we were honoring roman polanski so I mean, you know. I agree with you. Yeah, I would take The Pianist out as well, and I would also take Gangs of New York out, mm-hmm. and I would put them in, I would put in Spirited Away mm-hmm. and Itu Mama Tambien as my four and five slot for the top five, but my best picture winner is The Hours. That is my favorite of the year. So then why, tell me, why did Chicago win? I like Chicago. Of the five nominated. I like, personally, I like Chicago winning because it is, even though it's about a subject that is really dark, it's still ultimately is a feel good movie you mm-hmm. walk out with your toes tapping and even though they're really dark heroines they they win you know in the end yeah. um i i think that it's really fun to have a musical win after literally a musical did had not won since oliver 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 <laughs> over the lion in winter anyway and um, just wait till we re-rank all of our 75 winners. Oliver's going to be number five, just to piss you off. <laughs> Oliver! <laughs> I'm going to be like, what are you doing to me? Um, you would never. No, but I think Chicago makes sense, too, because The Pianist, I think, was too controversial. I think Lord of the Rings is a sequel. They knew a third was coming. They're not ready to honor it yet. Um, the Hours... Well, The Hours is so depressing, and it's, yeah, it's kind of like, you know, the In the Bedroom of the Year Before. Depressing, but a great performance piece. I think it really was between Chicago and Gangs of New York. Both of them had some of the most nominations of any movie that year. And Martin Scorsese has not won yet at this point. And that's what I want to talk about. It's like, why why didn't Martin Scorsese get it for Gangs of New York? Some people think it's his best movie. I mean, it definitely got some of the most love of any of his films. There's a weird vibe going on with things in Hollywood at this point in time. Let's not forget that a lot of the conversation around Roman Polanski winning at this point in time was that people didn't think he should, he should, people thought he should be allowed back into the country. That was like the prevailing opinion in Hollywood 
at this point in time, I think led by the fact that the people who were the overlords in Hollywood at this point in time were the Harvey Weinsteins. And so I think that this very sexist attitude was being pushed throughout Hollywood. And so this was a push for, we don't think Roman Polanski's that bad of a dude. Mm -hmm. And that had a lot to do with this momentum toward him winning. Um, It's also a serious film, and we know how the Academy loves the serious movies. Um, But I'm talking best picture. Why didn't Gangs of New York win picture over Chicago if this was kind of, at this point in time, kind of deemed to be you know, one of Scorsese's best, especially since, like, his last, like, biggest chance would have been a decade before this, over a decade, um, for Goodfellas. So, you know, if we're talking in terms of what Academy loves to give people awards for their, you know, body of work, why didn't it win picture? Let's not forget here that, you know, this is, I mentioned Weinstein before, but this is the, the, point in time and i don't want to disregard anyone's win by making this argument but i do think weinstein having um he was not listed as the main producer on chicago but it was miramax who put out Mm -hmm. the film i think that when weinstein chooses a horse for his movies that's the one that gets the love Um, all right and I think that there was more of a campaign push for Chicago. Um, it also, it. taking that element out of it, it was um, it was a bigger hit than Gangs of New York with the box office. Um, it was a bigger crowd pleaser. Um, and I think that the talent that was involved, um, those five people that we were talking about, earlier i think they were all very much you know of the moment in the moment and i i think that those combination of factors really helped power this to a win over some of the others um yeah do you think simple case too of yeah go ahead i was gonna ask do you think that uh, looking at this best actress list you know, I think a lot of people would say maybe Julianne Moore was up there, Selma Hayek. Of course, if we really wanted to get into Weinstein, there's a lot of Weinstein drama in regards to Frida and Selma yeah. Hayek in this year. But um, do you think that Renee Zellweger had a legitimate shot of taking this from Nicole? Or do you think Nicole... Do you think that this was Nicole's moment more than anything else? I fully think it was Nicole's moment. If for only the fact that people were talking more about her nose than they were about the performance itself. But this is where we really start to see the actress transformations start to happen where a beautiful woman kind of, kind of you know, uglies herself or, you know, kind of it's makes also herself a, a little... Film. Sorry, and it's, it's a Miramax film. It matters. No, but it matters. But I think yeah. this is became part of the conversation of, oh, look how brave she is for, you know, putting on this false nose and looking unattractive. And you know what this I mean? We see it next year that. with, yeah, well, Charlize Theron wins next year for Monster for doing a very similar thing. Well, you know, when... Granted, it's a Din- brilliant performance, but... Din- when Denzel announced that 
Nicole was the winner. He opened the envelope and he said, "By a nose, Nicole Kidman." He That's what I'm saying. It yeah. was a huge part of the conversation. And know? that does and, get people uh, talking too. It keeps it yeah. in the conversation when there's like a hook point like that. Yeah. Um not necessarily a hook yeah. nose. I think it was but... Nicole's. I really do. I think it was hers to win. And it's a great performance too. I think she does beautiful work in the hours. It's be- I mean you could say it's because of the nose, but she does disappear into this part perhaps more so than she does with anything else. And, you know, Nicole is somebody who, uh, at some point, I think she should have a second Oscar. There are people who have multiples who probably have not made nearly the impact on film that Nicole Kidman has. So I really hope that Nicole Kidman wins a second Oscar at some point. I think she will too. Her time will come again. It will. Okay, let's get into what we're going to talk about next year. 2003 Oscars and the Best Picture winner, Lord of the Rings, Return of the King. I've there's seen not, this movie. There's not much to talk about. <laughs> it wins everything. I, know. I mean, like. <laughs> <laughs> it does. Have you, you've seen the Lord of the Rings movies, right? You have. It's been a very, have. very long time. I have to check back in with this one. These are, are you no- going to rewatch all three of them, or are you just going to rewatch the third one? I'm not going to rewatch all three of them. I, <laughs> I might. <laughs> um, I these are not. I'm just going to be completely honest here. These are not my jam. Um, yeah, I don't four and I a half stars. <laughs> if it's lucky, I'm just saying that I haven't ranked them because it's been too long but i i'm just saying that i am not a fantasy person and when they're yeah. very long fantasies that's even harder for me i'm also not into heavily male cast of characters so this has some things going against it that are just not part of my taste palette it's nothing it's not really the movie's fault um, I will take that into account when discussing my feelings. Um, I'm just saying there may be something that's slightly lost in translation for me. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> and it may mean that I decide instead to put my bet on a different horse don't do it don't do it (laughs) or go down a different river with a different master and commander i'm just saying i can't also a couple of films very dominated by men (laughs) i just want to work in every other title of the best picture nominees i i knew you could do i mean i'm proud of you i well thank you i mean something's got to give i there it um... There it is, your true best picture winner. Okay, join us next week. Oh my we'll gosh. talk about the it will 2003 <laughs> Oscars and the best picture winner, Lord of the Rings, Return of the King. Oh!